I think my professor at seminary would be the first person to tell you that church history was not my favorite subject. Now, don't get me wrong. I learned enough to pass my exams and to write my papers. But I have a hard time keeping dates straight in my head. And sometimes I struggled with realizing which events occurred at the same time in distant lands. The kings and queens and rulers all start to blend together, especially when all that differentiates them is a few Roman numerals. And some of the theological debates that divided the church, frankly, seemed quite insignificant. To be ordained in the Episcopal Church, one must take and pass a set of ordination exams, kind of like sitting for the bar or taking your owls and newts. To study for my church history exam, I did not review my detailed yet confusing church history notes from two years earlier, or even reread my textbook. No, instead I forced my husband to binge watch McCulloch's six DVD BBC series called A History of Christianity the First 3,000 Years, right before my exam, which did prove to clear up a lot of the timelines I had conflated. Once the test was done, I filed my notes away, placed my book on my shelf, and returned the DVDs to the library at Swanee, resigned to the fact that I would not be teaching a class on church history if I could avoid it. But years later, I do realize the most important lesson I took away from church history. It had nothing to do with the Oxford movement, or the Crusades, or even any of the councils. It did not involve the beginnings of the Anglican Church, the Revolutionary War, or the start of the Episcopal Church. Rather, what I noticed time and time again was that from the very beginning, there were times when the church seemed doomed. Christians lived through persecutions, the celebration of martyrs to the point of suicidal behavior, the rise of Islam, the Crusades, the bubonic plague, the Reformation, and more. And yet, no matter what the world threw their way, the church found a way to survive. Now this doesn't mean the church looked the same. We are not exercising our candidates for baptism, rubbing them down with salt, and then dunking them into the St. John's River. We are not meeting in homes to have Eucharist in the middle of our dinner. We do not require people pay for requiem masses or give gold to the church in order to purchase a place in heaven for their loved ones. The church has changed. It has splintered. It has evolved. And our current church is far from perfect, but the church has survived. The gospel of Jesus Christ has survived. And now 2000 years later, we tell the same stories about the son of God born to a virgin mother who saved the world through his sacrifice. My main takeaway from the study of church history turns out to be quite simple. The church has survived all sorts of horrible earthly things and the church will survive us too. Today we hear about the ascension of Christ. The disciples are standing around Jesus and know he is saying goodbye. They've been told another advocate, the Holy Spirit, is coming, but they don't know when or how or what the Spirit even looks like. They are given a mission to bear witness to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And then suddenly, Jesus is raised into the air and disappears. Something big has just happened. The glory of God has been revealed. 
and the lives of the disciples and the life of the early church will never be the same. But right at that moment, they did the only logical thing. They went back to the room they were sharing and they prayed. Humans naturally want to resist change. Biologically, we are wired to interpret any kind of change, even change for the positive, to be a threat. We sense a loss of control, a fear of what's next, and grief for what we're leaving behind. So often we ritualize big changes in our lives as to provide space for us to say goodbye to our old lives, for example, with bachelor parties, or for us to welcome our new lives, such as with baby showers. But the disciples don't get a chance to throw Jesus a retirement party. Jesus, their brother who died and then was back and now is gone again, just suddenly disappears from their lives in a blaze of glory. And the disciples have to be feeling some kind of whiplash. For now, the disciples are left alone and wondering. They may want to go back to when life was normal, when Jesus was with them. They may want to go back to when life seemed carefree, when they could spend an early morning catching a few fish for breakfast with a man they'd seen work miracles. They may want to go back to the time when they could go pick up toilet paper at Costco without having to wear a mask or worry about having hand sanitizer in the car. But life as they knew it had changed. Jesus, the Son of God, was gone. Life could not go back to normal. The disciples know life will be different. And while they may ache for things to go back to normal, it is clear that is not an option. And while we know Pentecost is right around the corner, God is near, the advocate is coming. The disciples do not know this, and all they can do is gather together in prayer. Many of us have intellectualized that we will not be able to return to normal for a long time. And even when it is safe to return to normal, normal could look a whole lot different. Church, for now, is going to look a whole lot different. And while we may ache for certain parts of our lives to return to normal, we are changed. Our world is changed. There is not a normal for us to return to. Like the disciples on the day Jesus ascended to heaven, maybe this is a time for us to get a bit quiet to gather in whatever ways we can, and to spend some time in prayer. Maybe we can contemplate what the future of the church looks like, not just next week, but five years from now. Maybe we can spend some time asking God how we can glorify him instead of glorifying ourselves. Maybe this time of fear and loneliness and grieving is an opportunity to wait for the Lord to reveal his plan to us. Change is scary. We can feel abandoned or unsure or grieving the loss of what was, just like the disciples were on the day of Christ's ascension. But we don't have to be church history scholars to see that the church has been through darker times than these before. We are called as Christians to bear witness to the ends of the earth. We are called to get quiet in order to discern God's will. And wherever God may call us, we are called to follow. The church has survived wars, famines, dictators, genocides, depressions, nuclear weapons, and pandemics before. And we can be sure that the church, this family of Christians called to be Jesus Christ in the world, will survive too.
God is here. God is moving. And God is doing something new. While change can cause a biological reaction in us, while our brain may be telling us to deny reality or hide away, or while it may wish we could return to normal, we as Christians are bound to hope. Hope that God works through the dark and scary times to bring about something beautiful. Hope that God is near us even when we feel alone. Hope that God works through death to bring resurrection. Much like the disciples after the ascension, we may not know what comes next, but we do know that God is already there. We have seen his glory, and our lives will never be the same.